Aren't you grateful for the Lord? His presence is amazing. I'm so smashed. I'm so smashed. Yeah, so we've been, uh, oh, he's already looking at me, he's on it. So we've been in, um, starting this new 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 series, uh, Who Rules the Household of Faith? And um, l- last week I just kind of gave uh, just a little premise and kind of to start our, our, our minds thinking and the wheels turning and, and just being aware of what the, um, the Lord may uh, want to speak to us through this and just... Um, uh, but this week we're really going to dive right in and, and um, get deep. We're going to be covering the offices of uh, the church, which are uh, bishops, overseers, elders, which are kind of the same thing. You, you, a lot of them are also nowadays like the senior pastor or executive pastors are, are kind of the things that people use as um, kind of titles nowadays. Um, obviously here we don't really flow into that you know much, but... Um, and then deacons and directors, and uh, and I know some of you may be looking at it and going, "Why is Jesus on the bottom?" And it, and then it works its way up because that is how leadership in the kingdom of heaven works. Um, it is a funnel, not a pyramid. And uh, we're going to kind of look at that, and we're going to start today um, looking at Jesus and the example that he set in leadership, because we are to imitate uh, utmost uh, and foremost Christ. And so uh, in all leadership, and we're going to talk today about leadership's responsibility, standards and and role in your life and um, in our lives as as sheep. Um, And then we're going we may get into deacons, uh, but we'll see for the sake of time. Uh, And then I think next week, unless God changes it, we're we're going to get into um, how. Uh, like today is leadership's responsibility and role towards the body. Next week, I think we're going to get into um, the body and the sheep's responsibilities, roles, and how we are to respond to leadership in in a healthy way and what God expects. Sound good? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, help. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Help me to communicate who you are as a leader and who you've called us to be. Rightly, Lord, unlock our hearts and our minds and our souls, God, Unlock it to understand by the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, Lord. Great grace now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look. Um, Let's take a look at how Jesus himself leads. Um, So obviously, uh, we're not going to cover the entirety of the Gospels, but you'll see Jesus's leadership all throughout the Bible. Um, He is certainly not afraid to rebuke, correct, or exhort. 
And um, and I and I'm I'm afraid that especially in our culture now, um, that uh, w- we can think that correction is condemnation or judgment, or or because m- maybe there's a criticism in in sometimes in correction. You know, like we're doing something that. Maybe we shouldn't, and we need to come in line with the Word of God. Or maybe we're following the devil, you know? And and we see Jesus even rebuking Peter. You know, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Because why? Because Peter is is hearing and repeating the voice of the enemy, not the voice of the Spirit. And d- but, uh, but we need to understand that, that when Christ did that, he was loving Peter. That God is love, and... Jesus perfectly displayed the Father. And so by rebuking Peter in that manner, it was love. Why? Because it is. it would be hate to leave you thinking like the devil. Love leads you out of that and into thinking of the things of God, right? He's not going to leave you that way. And so we need to understand that in Jesus' leadership. We need to understand that Jesus full of compassion and love and and it's primarily left-handed. What do we mean by that? Primarily comforter, primarily consoler, primarily encourager, but still comes with that right hand of authority and power and will correct and, uh, like a good father, chastises those whom he loves. You know, actually, the Bible even clearly says that... Um, the chastisement and correction of the Lord is the evidence that you're a son or a daughter, you know, that he would feel the right to, you know, correct you and chastise you. It's in his great love. And so we see Jesus perfectly modeling this leadership. Uh, we see Jesus spending time, real quality time. Jesus was not a pulpit pastor. Jesus didn't simply sit behind a pulpit and expect the people to receive and be fed and get all they need from the grace on his life uh, simply from that teaching or preaching posture that certainly is important uh, we, we may get into that as well and it certainly um, is biblical and godly um, and Jesus did spend a lot of time teaching and preaching but the majority of his time was spent involved in the lives of those whom he called and those who followed him he spent real quality time getting to, to know them and watching them and and addressing yeah, even just simple daily stuff. And, and and he would often do it in such a loving way and present a parable or a teaching or, a, uh, you know, and then even with the disciples, you know, often you see this dynamic where he teaches a parable in public. And then in private, he reveals the things in secret to them. And he sh- he's showing us. He's showing us the Christian life at the same time. He's teaching us the Christian life. We we participate in corporate public gatherings, and then we have a secret place, right, where the secret things are revealed. The deep and hidden things often are revealed. Does that make sense? So he pulls them in secret, and he says, then he later on he says, what I whisper to you in secret, yell from the rooftops, what you hear in the dark, speak in the light. You know, this is how he led. He led publicly and privately, and he gave access, unhindered access. Um, obviously, it wasn't just a free-for-all. 
you know, you'll, you'll see that. He, it wasn't just a free-for-all. Um, he had the 12 and then later the 70, but then even he would take the three up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, and so you, you see this clearly, and it's just, it's just a beautiful example of really what Christ has called us to, um, w- leaders within the body of Christ. Unfortunately, however, you have seen, um, especially in this nation, um, in an in a unfortunately large number of leaders have abandoned that. And, um, and, and you know, we, we certainly aren't, we mean no disrespect or dishonor for any megachurch. And, you know, does God use them? Yes, he does. And, and some of them have empowered and equipped other leaders, and they are actively involved in in you know there are other elders and and leaders within the 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 community that have been empowered and and are involved in 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 their lives but um for the most part a lot it's not so you know you you may never share a meal with with an elder you may never share a meal with an overseer you may never get poured into or 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 really discipled which which this is a part of discipleship, what's taking place right now. But real nitty-gritty discipleship is when you start spending time with people. Like I can tell you, I mean, many of you know I've been discipled um, by Brian Guerin, and in some of the most convicting moments were not sitting under him as he spoke within the pulpit, but just living life, eating breakfast, seeing how he he talks to hotel staff or or other people around and watching that and it would convict my life. And it would and when you know it's conviction when the grace to step into it is present. Does that make sense? The difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is hey, you're wrong and you'll never be right. Conviction is, hey, you're wrong. Here's the power to be right. That's the difference, you know, is is the Holy Spirit will never tell you not to do something he's empowering you not to do or to do something that he won't empower you to do. The devil loves to come in and condemn and, and push you down. And Christ is always pulling you up and pointing you up to him. Or the Holy Spirit is pointing you to him. Does that make sense? And so um, that's real discipleship is 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 learning. And Jesus does this so lovely. You know, he leads like this. He leads low. That's really the, if there's a title for tonight, that's the title, leading low. Jesus, who is the the Lord of all, the master of the universe, the creator, right? He who was there in the beginning and is the end, right? He's the beginning and end, alpha, omega, this Jesus, the Bible says when he came, though he was, did not even reckon himself equal with God. He led low. And so um, I want to focus on Jesus. I don't want to get in so much of, of, of the do's and don'ts yet of leadership, but um, let's just let's just lis- listen to the words of Jesus. And so we'll be in um, John uh, chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 17. Listen to this. I love this. Um, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So important and key. And, and, and this just sets the context of what he's about to do now. Now, this is Jesus' last act, act in, in that state before he's resurrected it's his last act before going to the crucifixion crucif- uh, sorry the crucifixion the cross 
It's his last act to his disciples, the last lesson before he goes on the cross. And look what he chooses to to leave in their minds. Now, they're there. you got to remember, they're there for three days wondering where, where he's at. This is the last this is the last act. This is the last act that Jesus does before like before he goes to the cross, okay? Setting them all up like 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 I mean, think about it. You're going to be gone for 3 days. Some of them have not even gotten it that he's going to die yet, right? They really haven't. It doesn't land and we know that cuz they scatter like 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 he knows Peter's about to deny him like three times all that. And this is the last thing he wants branded on their memories before they go through that. And check this out. He says, uh, picking up again in verse 1, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he said to Simon Peter, there, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Man. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. It's very interesting that there's way more than just natural cleaning going on right here. Um, But he says this, For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for for so am I. And I love this because Jesus does not deny the fact that he has authority and power. He's saying, I, I am your Lord and your master. And um, and we're going to really translate that, I think, in a moment into the context, too, of elders and leaders. And, like, there is a balance of knowing authority, you know, like knowing, like, hey, yeah, you know, but but even in that, like I know I have authority, I have the right, I have the power for sure. But even in that, this is how I respond. And that's what Jesus is saying. Like, I have all power and authority. You know that. And you call me Lord and Master, and rightly so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, catch this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you 
do them. And I'm going to touch it right here because there's many men and women of God. And I'm not trying to point fingers or wag fingers or, or, or dishonor or disrespect. But that sent one, that word, that is apostle. That's apostolic. That's a sent, sent out one. If you remember whenever um, Paul and it was called unto uh, was called Paul and Barnabas were called in in the church. They're they're fasting and they're praying and they lay hands on them. The Holy Spirit says, "Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work I have sent them." That's this right here. And so many bear the name of apostle and wear it like they're a king to be worshipped in the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, "I'm Master. I'm Lord. I'm Teacher. I'm Alpha and Omega, and I wash feet. Who are you not to serve the body as well?" And what is he doing? He's he's getting down and he's he's touching. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that the feet were like the worst part. That were they that was it was a dishonor for you to like a disgusting, dishonorable thing to to have your to touch somebody with your feet or to take your shoe off. Like that's one of the that's one of their like like it's like flipping them off in our in American culture that people flip the bird. Back then, they would take their sandal off and, and like do this and wag it at you. If you remember in, in the Middle East, um, I don't know if you guys remember when Saddam Hussein fell and, and was taken out and they, they pulled down his statue. There was a video and they were all taking their shoes off and they were slapping the statue with their shoe because in that culture, that's one of the greatest dishonor. So to have the king of glory like bend down, and that's why Peter's like, no, 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 you're not touching my feet. But what does he say? If you don't let me, you can have no part in me. You have to let leadership serve you. You, 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 can't, you cannot partake in their, the grace on their life if you don't let them get in and wash your feet. If you don't let them get in and, and serve you. It's, it's what, and, and let me tell you, a, you're, you are not under godly kingdom leadership if they're not washing the feet of the saints. That's not biblical. It's like, honestly, the one time, like obviously he said, the works that I do, you'll do and greater than these. But it's the one time where Jesus like goes out of his way to say, hey, by the way, even though you know that everything I've been doing is an example and that you're following me and, and you already know because when a rabbi said, come follow me, it literally meant do as I do. It's the same thing Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, come follow me. You know, you, you, would, you would model yourself after whatever rabbi you followed. So when Jesus said, come follow me, it was already implied. But he goes out of his way in this moment in Scripture and says, listen, this is an example for you to do the same. Is to go low and, and lead, rule with a towel and lead low. Yeah, I'm a ruler, he's saying. Right? Lord and teacher. But I rule with the towel. I serve. I wash feet. I get low. It's very, very, very key. And unfortunately, again, these are these are the sent ones of the Most High. But you have so many that are just you can. I'm telling you, I'm, I imagine some of you are seeing people's faces pop in your mind right now. And it's not to point finger. It's just it's the Holy Spirit highlighting you, showing you an example of like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know. I have reports of leaders ripping and chewing the heads off of saints because they did not walk out in the rain and hold an umbrella open for them and their wife as they got out of the car. When Jesus says that that apostle should be holding the umbrella for everybody and holding the door for them and standing in the rain and 
you know, he should be the one walking back. Like, this is real. This is real. Help us, Jesus. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 28. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, or sorry, now Jesus is verse 17, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. It's so interesting how Jesus tells him this and many of them forget it. Um, it doesn't get much more plain than that. <laughs> then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. This is John and James, the sons of, of thunder, uh, kneeling down and asked. And this is also John, you know, the beloved and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and says, you don't know what you ask. Like you, you, which I love because he's, again, I, I just love the way he's correcting. He's not like you wicked woman full of pride and arrogance. You know, he's like, you really, you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, um, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What is he talking about? Some of the baptism of, of, of fire, the, the fiery trial that he's about to go through you know, the the cross. They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and them to himself and said, and again, here he's, he's correcting, and I love the way he does it. You know that the, catch this, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. I, I want to point out that Jesus never once tells them that they're not going to be rulers. He actually is telling them they're going to be the rulers of his house. Because he's saying, he's saying, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You, are rulers of my house, are not going to do so. He is calling them rulers. But he's saying, we're of a different world. We're of a different heart. Listen. Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And again, I'm not going to get too much into our response to, uh, uh, to leadership, but I'm kind of sprinkling, we're kind of by the Holy Spirit, sprinkling this um, teaching tonight with a little bit of it in that again you are denying the grace that is on leadership when you don't allow them to serve you in the manner in which they're commanded and called to do does that make sense 
So this is this. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. A- again, this there has been many leaders who who paint a picture of in in my God the 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 news has been full of them. And I'm not trying again. I'm not trying to point fingers, wag fingers. Nothing. It's this is not a judgmental statement. This is fact. This is just, this is a reality. And there are many, there's even pastors committing suicide, quitting the ministry, left and white, right? Oh, the pressures, oh, the people's needs, oh, the this, oh, the that. And I'm going, oh, where's the grace? Was it really there in the first place? Because what I'm seeing is that if you're called to be a ruler of God's household, then the very grace is to be a slave to the, to the people of God. You can't, well, it, the grace wouldn't be there. There's no grace to quit. What are you talking about? If you're weak and tired, praise be to God, because when he's weak, I am strong. His grace is made perfect in my weakness. Declaring I'm weak in and of myself shouldn't be an excuse to check out. It should be a declaration of faith that I know God's about to show up. He's saying it. If you've been called as a ruler of God's house, you've been called as a servant of all and a slave to all. A slave to Christ and a slave to his house and his body. Does this make sense? It's what he's saying. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To to literally... A, a, a ruler of God's house is called to leave all for that call. It's, it's clear. That's why he goes on to say later on, uh, if you lose house, brother, sister, husband, wife, child, for my name's sake, it'll be rewarded to you in this life and in the next. Because it is expected that it's going to happen. Your enemies will be those of your own household. I'm telling you, if you've been walking with God for any amount of time, you have met an enemy within your family line. I'm telling you, that has come at you. Every one of you has experienced that if you've been walking with Christ for some time. Happens all the time. I was just counseling uh, someone the other day whose mom was giving them, I mean, just she is not filled with the Holy Ghost. And the stuff that her mom was saying was like a Peter regurgitating Satan. And you're like, man, well, you knew this was going to happen. It's right here. My wife was disowned for almost two years by her family when she gave her life to Jesus. Totally disowned. For following Jesus. Told her, we like you better when you were drunk. This is... This is the price, you know, and then even more so for those called to rule. It's like, though, there's been this picture painted within the body of Christ of prominence and pomp and honor and high honor, which we will get in there is for sure honor. And we will get in there. We honor the Lord, don't we? And though he's he's, you know, servant of all. But 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 it's like there's this pomp and fame and like. All this stuff that it's like, that's this high elevated place I'm trying to get to. No, actually, it's the lowest place you can go. It's the lowest place where your life really isn't your own. When you follow Christ, you give up your life for him. When you become a ruler of God's household, you give up your life for Christ and the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is Christ's example. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. You are not here to serve mine or Sarah's or any other vision. You're not here to serve my vision. I'm here to serve you. That's God's vision. That was God's envision for his church. The church was God's idea. 2032 Mahoning Avenue, Youngstown, Ohio was God's idea, not my idea. I I just get to participate. That's it. I've just been graced. There's just been graced. We talked about that last week. There's just a grace. You can honor the grace. Don't come here for the person. Come for the grace of God. The divine ability. The baddest apostle, in my, my opinion, of his day. I know John gives him a real good run for his money. But one of the baddest apostles, Paul, said this. And I love it because Paul said, I'm the least. I'm the chief sinner. Paul got it. I'm going, oh, nope. He said the, the least is the greatest, and I'm going to become the least. And Paul understood it. He got it. He's like, I'm going low. He said it's by the divine grace of God that I am an apostle. He didn't go off of his e- education under Galamiel. I think that's how you pronounce it. His tutor, he didn't, that wasn't his credential. He didn't come in and say, I'm a Jew, a Pharisee, a Pharisee. And that's why he wasn't saying that. He was saying, actually, all that disqualified me. He's like, but the grace of God, God called me and he filled me. And his divine spirit came in and filled me with that grace to be an apostle. Servant of all. Man, you see it in Paul, left and right. Paul's constantly crying out to God for the church. He's constantly broken and in turmoil over the state of the church. His whole life, he's like, I've been naked. I've been with and without. I've wanted much fastings, broken, bruised, all of these things. And he's like, and it's all been for your benefit. That's apostle right there. Peter left wife, family to travel, to proclaim the name of Jesus, left a business. Like, they left it all for God and his sheep. Servant of all. Man, Jesus, his, he, he, such, a, such a beautiful uh, example of leadership. And, and you know what Jesus never did was he never told you to do something that he wouldn't himself do. He, he, there was never a task above him, does that mean, or below him, sorry, or beyond him. But Jesus, Jesus led truly by example. Stopping for the one. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the disciples are so confused about his conversation uh, with the woman at the well. <laughs> He's like, simmer down, boys. I've got, they're like, but we're hungry. We need some barbecue. He's like, listen, you know, simmer down, boys. I've got food to eat that you don't know of. Like, I got to do, my food is to do the will of my father. Such a good leader, man. Let's pray right now. God, I pray that you would imbue every leader in the body of Christ, me first, God, with the grace to lead like Jesus, to lead low and to rule with the towel. God, I pray you'd you'd bring conviction to the pulpit and to the leadership within your bride. Clean it up, God, I pray. Clean it up. Sweep house, God. God, if they won't bend and bow, then break, I pray. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen. Let's jump over to uh, Titus verse or chapter 1. Uh 
verse 1 through 16. I don't think we'll get into to deacons tonight. We may just land on, on elders. Titus 1, 1 through 16. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. I love that. All true truth accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Man, the Holy Spirit's pulling on my heart. I want to go back there real quick. You know, all true truth accords with godliness. So you don't ever have to question if if it's the the voice of the Lord leading you into something that's unrighteous or giving you permission to sin. It's never the Holy Spirit giving a, pa- a pass to sin. The grace of God, you know, it's not a license to sin. It's the empowerment not to. It's good. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Somebody say through preaching. Which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should, catch this, Set in order things that are lacking. This line from Paul is setting the context for everything he's about to say next. How many of you know reading the Bible in proper context really is everything? You get the wrong context without, well, obviously we need the Holy Spirit. But you get the wrong context and you're way off. Many of false doctrines or doctrines of men being taught as commandments of God have gotten twisted because things have been taken out of context. So this sets the context right here. Listen. To set in order things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. As I command you. It's very interesting. A, I want to point out a couple of things. Right? I'm going to backtrack from commanded back. A, I want to point out the fact that Paul, humble, Humble Paul, right, ruler of God's house, understands that he has every authority to command Titus. And, he, and he's doing it, and you better believe he's still doing it as servant, not presumptuous, and he's not lording it over him as the Gentiles do, but addressing him as a father in the faith. I love Paul. If you've ever read the letter to uh, I think it's Philemon. If you've ever read that letter, if you know the context of that letter, what's happened is Paul has befriended and, and I believe led to the Lord a runaway slave named Onesimus. And he's actually writing to the slave master, which is Philemon. And he's writing to him and he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon in, in, uh, to go and make amends and make things right because he like ran away and whatever. And he writes this letter and I love Paul the way Paul is. Paul's like, listen, you owe me your life. I could demand this from you on all that you owe me, but I'm imploring you instead as a brother. <laughs> and so Paul's like, hey, I have every right to just tell you what to do, but I'm not lording it over you. 
although he makes him very aware, aware, like, hey, I have that authority. He's like, but I'm imploring you as a brother because I'll know you'll do the right thing and you'll forgive Onesimus and, and, and free him, you know, and he sends him back. Like, in that wild, the way that Paul, because see, man, he, Paul had that balance. He understood the authority, but he understood leading low. It's just a beautiful uh, uh, thing I want to point out. So Paul, Paul, right out of the gate, understands he has the authority and the right to command, uh, and in fact is. But then I also want to, want, want to point out here where uh, I believe the Spirit wants us to point out, set in order things that are lacking, appoint elders. So it's safe to say if an elder is not present, a ruler in God's house. Let's, let's, let's define elder before we get into this real quick. The word in Greek is presbyteros. Presbyteros. It's also where we get the word presbyter, but it's presbyteros. It, listen, it means this, to preside over the assembly. To preside over the assembly or to rule. Uh, and then it also means one who has seasoned judgment. Well, how many of you know you don't need seasoned judgment without implying that you'll be giving judgment? <laughs> Does that make sense? It's very interesting when Paul writes to, uh, I can't remember which letter it is, but he says, he's kind of, re- he's rebuking the church and he's like, because they have taken one another to court in, in, in the court of the world. And he's saying, is there not someone among you who could judge the matter? And it's so funny because often we get like, judge not, least ye be judged. We're not called to judge. Again, that's talking totally different. A, Paul makes it very clear, we don't judge sinners that are in the world, but very much we judge those in the household of God. Very much so. Matthew 7 is very clear. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. We're called to judge them by their fruit. But also that there are rulers in God's house who are to judge matters in life and in relationship between the sheep and one another. They're called. We're called it says right here, the elders, they're with seasoned judgment and they preside over the assembly, giving direction. So check this out. He says, set in order the things they're lacking. So it's safe to say if an elder is not present within a church or in a body, a ruler, a, a, a leader in that sense, is not present, that church is lacking something. And it's safe to say that if we don't have an elder or a ruler or a leader in our life, we're lacking something, according to the Bible. That really does away with that maverick spirit that like wants to run off and do church in their home by themselves. It just does away with it. It, it, do, it does away with it. I'll move on. Then he goes on to the qualifications of an elder starting in verse 6. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, that word blameless actually means without accusation. It means, means there's something in, in their life that you can't, you know, you can't, there's nothing, you can go, well, but this, but that. Uh, it says the husband of one wife. Why does he say one wife? It doesn't mean because if somebody's been divorced, especially if it was a biblical meaning, he's saying it because in that time people had multiple wives. And so they would actually get born again and have multiple wives because that was the culture they had. They didn't know any better. You didn't get born again and have uh, multiple wives and then divorce one and pick one. It didn't work that way. 
That's not what they did. You remained a Christian with multiple wives, and then you taught the next generation not to do so. God would never come in and be like, yeah, well, you're just going to have to pick one, disown that one and all their kids. That was not how it would happen. Um, so there were very, there was a lot of polygamy um, in, the, in the Greek culture, and this would happen, and he's, he's writing, and it's in Crete. It's like, you know, it is in Greek. That, that would happen. So he's, what he's saying is don't make a ruler out of a person who has multiple wives. So way much, too much to handle. Anyway, uh, that's my opinion. Uh, it doesn't say it in the Bible. Having faithful children, not a cust of dispensation or insubordination, like, you know, his, the kids listen, um, for a bishop. So, again, here it says a bishop, and because it, it, a bishop, overseer, and elder. Anytime it says that in the Bible, it's really the same position. We obviously know there are moments, and the Catholic Church really took it and ran with it, where bishops would oversee and, and really that makes more sense and kind of is what we use now and we see it in modern days is that bishops would oversee multiple assemblies. Does that make sense? So you'd have like elders in basically would be like a senior pastor. If we had to reverberate it and bring it into nowadays time, it would be like a senior leader and as it would elder in the executive eldership amongst them, you know. And then you would have a bishop who would then oversee like multiple areas within a city if more but typically even now right now when he's writing to uh titus where he's at there's not like 30 churches like there is you know on this road right here it's just it's not like that there was one church in each city but as the assemblies begin to grow and uh, you may have 50 over here you may have 20 over here you may have 12 over there you know, then you might have a an overseer who would then go into and, and you would have elders does that make sense all right but so I just want to show you that it's the same thing, bishop, elder, and overseer. Uh, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, meaning they're not about themselves. Uh, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, can't be a drunkard. Not violent nor greedy for money. Not violent nor greedy for money. That's a big one you see. And a lot of rulers of God's house. Many of you have talked uh, or heard me talk about how we have from the beginning and continue to do. Like, I cannot choose my own salary. I can't even be present in the room when they talk about it. All I can do as the steward of God's house and its resources is tell them what would cripple us if they paid me that much. All I can do is cap myself and go, hey, you know, you cannot pay me more than this. If you pay me more than this, it will bankrupt us. It will crumble us. And then they look at information. There's a whole committee. They look at information, and they find out what is the proper, you know, uh, middle ground. And then what I do, they look at that, and they look at the area and what's the medium income here. And then they make the decision. I have no say-so in the matter. And I believe that's the best way to do it because it it, it, it it breeds integrity. I don't have a say, you know, it just, my hands are off of it. So um, anyway, it says, not greedy for money. Hospitable. You know what hospitable means? It means you coming up in my home. <laughs> and I'm not like, it, it means to willingly, not begrudgingly have people in your life and in your home. Again, this is another I issue we've seen. I, I just, I've been a part of many churches and never spent, uh, a single moment in, in the leader's home, ever. I, I would not call them hospitable. They get done from the pulpit and shoot right into the green room. 
and you don't see them again till the next service. Not hospitable. Or the church gets so big that it, you can't be hospitable. This is why for us we feel that sweet magic number is right around 150, 200, never want to get over 200. We would plan another work. It's like I said, you know, there was one church in the city, and they had one church, and then they would separate, and then you end up having a bishop has multiple. Does that make sense? And so, again, that's the model uh, because they know, like, uh, if you can't, if you can't, if you can't, like, if I don't can't know everybody's name, that's a problem for me at least. I don't see how I can fulfill the demands of an elder to be hospitable if I can't. Does that make sense? A lover of what is good. And again, I'm not pointing fingers or saying we got it all figured out. I'm, I'm not. I'm just sharing m- my heart and my personal convictions in what I see in the Bible. Um, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Self-controlled. What are the scariest thing you can ever hear a leader say is, I just can't help myself. When I hear uh, even uh, anybody in Christ say, I just can't help myself, it screams demon to me. What do you mean? God did not give you a spirit of pure fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-control. And if there's something you can't control, most likely there's a demonic spirit at play there. Holding fast the faithful word as he has... Listen to this, as he has been taught. That's very key as well. But the faithful word that he may be able by sound doctrine to bo- both to exhort and convict those who contradict it. This is very important. Now we're getting it. So, so it gave you the qualifications of what an elder has to be um, to be a ruler in the, of God's house. And now it's going to get into uh, what they're called to do and what their role is to the sheep. And so now we showed Jesus in his example. We've talked about the standard of uh, to be a, a ruler of God's house, God's standard according to the Holy Scriptures. And, and, and again, a lot of people say, well, brother, have mercy and grace for that. Well, this is the standard. And he's like, don't make them an elder without this. And we're like, well, circumstance. No, here's the qualifications. We don't do it. Now, do people fall? Sure. But there's a difference between falling short and living short. So, um. He goes, listen to this, holding fast the faithful word he's been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, listen to this, exhort and convict those who contradict it. So the roles are to exhort, which means to build up or edify, correct, in a building up. It's correction in a manner of building up. And convict those who contradict it, which means they're, it, this speaks of by a living example and also by, by speaking it out. And by not leaving um, lies be lies, but speaking truth in love. Does that make sense? It's, it's like if I know you're about to swallow poison, I just let you keep swallowing poison. Or I say, hey, that's poison. That's what it's saying. Um, so then, then he says, here's why that's their role. Here's why. Here's why. Again, obviously why we need elders and rulers in God's house. Here's why. For there are many insubordinate which again will get into our role um, as sh- sheep in God's house responding to elders. Is, see, it's very clear that insubordination is ungodly. And so it says they're insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers. 
especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. So the role of an elder is to stop the mouths of deceivers and gossipers and the insubordinate. Super interesting. Who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not to. You have that so many times. People come in, and they have a gift and a calling, and in their zealousness, they begin to teach when they have not been given authority to teach. And uh, teaching, again, is different than preaching. We talked about this when we talked about the teaching and preaching gift. You, every, every one of you should be preaching the gospel. You should be a witness. When you receive the Holy Spirit, the qualifications and all of that that you needed to preach the word was given to you when you received the Holy Spirit. But teaching is a totally another thing. The Bible actually says uh, don't all ex- desire to be teachers because teachers are held to a higher standard. Teaching has to do with doctrine. That's exactly what he's talking about. Does that make sense? For the sake of dishonest gain... So that's either whether it's monetary or for pomp, for fame. Some people do it because they want a pat on the back or they want people to think they're so spiritual or they got an awesome gift. I've probably been guilty of that as well myself. Um, One of them, a prophet of their own. So again, he's like, Paul's like, yeah, a prophet of their own, meaning they've, you know, they've made themselves, yeah, I'm a prophet, so I have authority because I'm a prophet. And we talked about this with, functions and and calling you know we difference between functions and offices um, but check this out a prophet of their own said Cretans are all always liars evil beasts lazy gluttons it, it, it's it, it's interesting because you see right now even reveals what some of these type of um, false prophets or um, rebellious insubordinate sheep do is they love to place absolutes upon people they love to draw these Dividing lines of absolutes. Yeah, well, brother, if so-and-so says this, they mean that. It's always that. Does that make sense? They're like, uh, yeah, well, you know, if if somebody's watching, uh, what what is it? Um, give me, let me get a good example. I'm going to have to go there. If somebody's watching a superhero movie or this or that, they are, they are not, they're not of God. Like, you know, yep. There's that absolution, that line of absolution. Everybody that watches that, they're wicked. They're evil. They're under deception. Does that make sense? So everybody that listens to country music in the body of Christ, they're evil, wicked, automatically. Me personally, I don't listen to anything secular, but I got demonically possessed and got on drugs through music, listening to Bone Thugs and Harmony. So I just personally, I don't. I don't even play with it. Because I know what it what it has. So I don't, that's me. But I'm never going to teach that as a command of God. That would be taking the doctrine of a man, me. That's my personal conviction and doctrine. And laying it on you as it's a command of God. That is not biblical at all. But that's what they do. They say, hey, all these people, liars, evil beasts, lazy guns. This testimony is true. Listen, therefore rebuke them sharply. Not gentle, sharply, like you are in error. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. There's your biblical example of being like Jesus. He's saying, yeah, when they're like that and all that's going on, you rebuke them sharply. Like, hey, listen, love you. Think this, think that, you know, maybe there's a prophetic gift there. Maybe there's this, but but really I think this is what you're doing. 
and you come in, and it's still with love. Jesus still with Peter. I mean, he just got done affirming him. You know the moment Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, is right after he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. They happen right after each other. So it says, rebuke them sharply that they may be in sound faith. So again, we see the role of an elder is it is to rebuke, and at times sharply. We don't want to hear that, but it's here. Uh, that they may be sound in faith. So again, the rebuke is what? For the benefit of the person. Certainly the rebuke is not for the benefit of the leader. There are certainly there are leaders who walk around rebuking and pointing out fault finding and pointing out and trying to point and pick and, and do this. Why? To, first of all, to mask their own error, to mask their own sin, to hide what they're going through by constantly pointing at others. It happens all the time. You know, you go in to counsel somebody and they come in and all they want to do is talk about other people. That's a real good indicator, by the way, if you're ever counseling anybody. It's a real, not always, I'm not going to make a law, but it's a real good indicator to go, uh-huh, that most likely they're trying to hide something about themselves. It's a real good in- indicator. You're meeting with somebody to counsel them about them and they start bringing up, it's a deflection. So anyway, it's so that they'll be sound in faith. So again, that they'll turn back, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. An example of a commandment of man would be KJV only. I like the KJV, KJV only. Every other translation, not of God. There are 400 wor- 400 plus, I think it's 485 words in the KJV that don't mean what they used to mean and aren't even in use in the English language anymore. Okay? That's a fact. But they teach commandment of man. Can you read the KJV? Sure. Is it a bad translation? No. But the New King James is good. Amplify. Like, whatever. Be led by the Spirit. Don't, you know, we're not cutting that off. And so, again, he says, um, not teaching the commands of men who turn people from the truth. Uh, There's a big issue right now with the commands of men where people are hearing in the spirit prophetically where we're going to go when persecution hits, which is we're going to leave the church building. You better believe that. There is not going to be room in the tribulation period for a church building. I have seen it. I have had a, 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 a fallen to a night vision, whatever, and I've seen us. Uh, a pre, I was preaching, and they kicked the doors in. They came up and dragged us out. Corporate gatherings, done. No more. They're gone. You won't have that. You'll have it in the house. But there's a group of people that are seeing that prophetically and declaring it as it's a command of God now and in this season. But it's not. We haven't shifted into that yet. So what they're doing is they're taking the commandments of men and turning people from truth. They're taking what probably will be a command of God at one time. Well, not even really a command of God. It'll be a reality, and then they're presenting it as a command of God. Well, it's just religious to meet in a building. It's happening all the time right now, which is, which is not of God. Anyway, so um, they profess to know God. Oh, I would say also they're abandoning the rulers of God's house and saying there, there shouldn't be set people that lead and rule, which is comp- anti-everything I just read. All right. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Disqualified for every good work. 
Again, they profess to know God, but they deny their works, they deny him. I love this because let me tell you, works does not earn you salvation, but it is the evidence of it. Say that again. Works do not earn salvation, but they are the evidence of it. You, that's what James is talking about. Show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Like, you say you know God, let me, how do I know that you know God? Are you sharing Jesus? Because if you know Jesus, you can't help but talk about him. Do you know God as healer? Because if you know him as healer, you'll be laying your hands on the sick. Do you know him as deliverer? Because if you do, you'll be casting out demons. Do you know him as savior? Because if you do, you'll be leading people to Christ. Then I'm going to jump into chapter 2 and we'll we'll end. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Uh, And again, then it's going to go into, uh, I'm going to go into it. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love children, to be discreet, chastity, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God may be, not be blasphemy. There's a good one, wives, like just right here, just so you know, not obedient to your husband, blasphemy. Bible. Sorry. All right. But husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying their life down for them, which is harder. Anyway. All right. Um, so likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one has an uh, that that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not talking back, not pilfering, it says not answering back, same thing, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So again, here is the role of an elder to to teach the body and those who are in the body to adorn themselves with the doctrines of God to walk in them, to exhort, rebuke, correct, to guide, to commend. And I love it because he goes on later, uh, and I believe it's in Timothy, and he tells him, don't let anybody despise you because of your young age. Why? Because it ain't got nothing to do with Timothy's age and everything to do with the grace of God resting on Timothy. And we got to have a revelation that when God chooses a under-shepherd in the house of God, that there will be a grace evidence on them, and you won't be able to deny it by the, because of the works. You won't be able to be be able to deny the grace. And what will end up happening is when they come in and they give you advice or rebuke or correction and you receive it, it will cause your life to prosper. When you receive their words of wisdom as though they were from the Lord, if they are from the Lord, and again, and not for gain. He gave you all that. Here's the qualifications. But when it's the word of the Lord and then you obey it and then walk it out and your life gets fruitful because of it, or you go to them and say, hey, I got this problem going on, da, 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 da. What, is, what do you think? In other words, what is your judgment? And that elder, being having seasoned judgment, gives you the judgment of the Lord by even often word of wisdom or word of knowledge, and you apply it to, the, to your life, and it prospers and blesses, and you see the, floor, f- the fruit of the Lord in it, that understand that that is their role. That is the role of an elder. He's showing it right here in Scripture. Thank you, Jesus. So these are the standards and the roles of, uh, uh, of the leaders of God's house.
it's the standards. Um, probably going to just land it here tonight. Uh, we'll probably get into, uh, we'll probably re- revisit elders and deacons n- next week a little bit. And then I also want to talk about how uh, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to address, like, okay, but what, what if an elder's in sin and how do we go about that? Um, and then we'll talk about, too, it talks about um, elders being worthy of double honor, how to, how to address them, especially those that teach. And, and we want to talk about that. And, and, again, how do we respond? And we'll probably get into how we respond. I just talked to you about elders' roles to, to you. Like, literally, um, I've heard it so many times, I don't want to bother you or um, I don't want to, you know, take up your time or this and that. What you're, you're denying leaders the, the, the operation of the grace on their life when you do that, when you don't pull on them. When you say, oh, I'm just bothering them. Oh, they're too busy. Oh, I don't want to trouble them with this issue. That's the devil lying to you. It's a devil lie. Unless you have a strong unction of the Holy Ghost and you have no peace whatsoever, if a thought pops in your head, you're bothering Brett, you're bothering Sarah, it ain't the Lord. Because if that was the case, then God was a liar when he said we were called to be elders. According to his word. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord. Help us to understand the proper function of the rulers of your house, Lord, of elders, bishops, and overseers. Help us, Lord. Help us to pull on them. Help us to receive from them. Help us to have faith in the grace that is on them, not the, the man, man or woman themselves, not the name. It doesn't matter. Is the grace of the shepherd, you, Jesus, good shepherd, that comes and rests upon them and functions and flows within the body. And we thank you, Jesus, for the office of elder, bishop, and overseer. We thank you for rulers in your house, God. We thank you that, like Peter, you said, feed the sheep, that you've left those to feed your sheep, God. You've, you've done that. You've equipped and called people. And so we say thank you. We're grateful for that. And then, uh, God, just let us go forth this week and be blessed strengthen, empowered, divine, and protection, God. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on Encounter Podcast. We pray it has been a blessing to you. We would be honored if you would prayerfully consider supporting this ministry by becoming a monthly partner or sowing a one-time offering, helping us bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord to the lost and the continued training and equipping of his bride, the church. For more information on how to become a partner or make a donation, please go to Encounter1078.com and click on the donate button. Thank you, and may the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus be upon you.